Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Question. When is a school not obliged to keep its pupils safe? Answer, when it's an unregistered school. In its simplest terms, an unregistered school is one that has not been registered with the authorities, essentially giving them the freedom to operate in in any way they see fit. And sometimes that freedom is appalling. One particularly nasty and and vicious teacher hit him so hard that, as, as he said, he blacked out, repeatedly struck him on the head. A recent report from the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse said some religious organisations in England and Wales were morally failing children they were schooling. Victims agree. You may as well nail a sign to the door that says it's okay to abuse children here because no one's going to find out. Creates a haven for child abusers. I'm David Aronovich and you're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. Today, unregistered, the school's not accountable for child abuse. It's Tom Ball, calling from the Times. Ah, oh, hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm alright. Have I caught you at a good time to have a chat? We can talk for a couple of minutes. Yeah, it has to be anonymous, though. Times reporter Tom Ball has been investigating unregistered schools, learning establishments which operate outside of the mainstream education system and away from government inspectors. As part of his investigation, he was put in touch with a young man we're calling Samuel. Samuel left school around a decade ago. The reason for his request for anonymity will soon become clear. Samuel is a man who is is now in his 20s. He grew up in Stamford Hill, which is is northeast London, but is is well known as being the home to the largest uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in Europe. Samuel was brought up speaking only Yiddish. He learned English only in his late teens. And the, the, the ultra-Orthodox community is, is largely defined by being strictly adherent to Jewish law and also sort of radically opposed to, to all modern ways. For example, Samuel wasn't allowed to use the internet. Um, he didn't watch films. He wasn't even allowed to read secular books growing up. So he attended three schools from the ages of of seven to 18. And all of these three schools were unregistered, illegal, essentially. His experience, as as he described it, was not a happy one. Lessons were, as as I said, all all in Yiddish. And 99% of study was scriptural-based study of the Torah, 
and the Talmud. Which are the Jewish holy scripts. Which are the Jewish holy scripts and also of Jewish law as well, with maybe 30 minutes maximum a day given over to a subject like uh, arithmetic. But, but certainly no study of, of English literature or, or science uh, or, or geography or any other subjects that you might normally study in a normal school. These schools, and in particular the one that he went to when he was under the age of 13, was defined by the fact that violence was used very commonly as a, as a form of discipline. He told me that he was beaten on a regular basis. Teachers had their own systems of, of punishment, some more sadistic than others. I remember one teacher having like a ruler, a stick and a ladle, like a wooden cook spoon. A small offence was like a ruler hitting on the palm. If you re-offended, you get hit with a cooking spoon, more painful. And then if you're really bad, you got hit with this stick, which would usually leave bruises. Most hitting was either on the palm or uh, slapping on the face. You'd often get bruised by it. Sometimes, in rarer cases, you get spanked over the lap with a belt. Some teachers would pull your earlobes. Some teachers would pinch you, twist your lips. Um, I remember one teacher would put you underneath his bed and just kick you. I remember coming home often with bruises. When he was 13, one particularly nasty and, and vicious teacher hit him so hard that, as, as he said, he blacked out. Um, hit him on the head? Hit him on the head. Repeatedly struck him on the head to the extent that he, he, then, he then blacked out. Let's, let's get it absolutely clear. What Samuel is saying is that he was hit by his teacher at this unregistered school so hard and so repeatedly, he blacked out. That's correct, yeah. He, and this wasn't totally unusual. The extent to which he was beaten on that occasion was probably unusual in itself, but the, the fact that children were being beaten regularly and, and struck in the manner that he was, it, it was not unusual. Um, it was done on an ad hoc basis, on the basis of how, how much essentially the, the teacher enjoyed the beating himself. Did he tell you at all what kind of infractions you had to commit in order to be hit? The, the way Samuel characterised it was corporal punishment was, was given out, not necessarily just for those who were particularly naughty. It had been the, the punishment that had been given to those teachers when they were at school. It was how children had been disciplined um, you know, for hundreds of years in the ultra-Orthodox community. And so the teachers saw no reason to, to stop because that's the way things had always been done. Samuel would question, particularly as he got older, and I think he, he would sometimes be on the receiving end of, of beatings for that. But this wasn't a, a, a punishment for a severe infraction at all. Now, how did Samuel's parents react when they knew that he'd blacked out at school? I mean, was there a complaint um, was action taken? So Samuel told his, his parents what had happened. His parents then told the headmaster. Samuel was ordered to come to the headmaster's office uh, where instead of being consoled and, and told that that teacher was to be disciplined, uh, he was told not to say anything. It was only several weeks later when that same teacher who had struck Samuel, then struck another boy with, with such force that he broke his leg, was that teacher then 
uh, eventually dismissed. So let's get this absolutely clear. When Samuel complained, went to the head teacher, was told not, we'll get rid of this guy, thank you very much for telling us, but was said, shh, say nothing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, these teachers, where did they come from? Were they qualified? No, they're, they're certainly not qualified. They are members of the community. I believe some uh, are rabbis, but not necessarily all of them. And uh, they are local people who have decided to, to, to teach. Right, so essentially anybody who the head teacher wanted to appoint to be a teacher could be a teacher. Essentially, yes. So, the teachers at an unregistered school don't have to meet the educational or safeguarding standards most of us expect and demand. But what about the physical fabric of the schools themselves? We imagine schools to be large, purpose-built public structures with gates, playgrounds and maybe even a field. Old or modern, you know when you're outside one. Yet you could walk past an unregistered school and have no idea. A lot of unregistered schools are, in fact, residential properties, um, which some of which have been uh, around for, for decades. And over the years, they've been extended and extended as, as more pupils have come. But they, they're by no means purpose-built buildings with you know all the, all the sort of facilities that you'd imagine a, a school to have. Okay, let me t- t- take you through facilities I imagine a school to have. Proper toilets. Did, did it have those? It had proper toilets, but the way Samuel described his, that they were, were filthy. There would be uh, urine spewing out of them and along the corridors. It was in a, a state of disrepair. Samuel describes there being broken windows. Because the school had no fridge, milk would be kept on the roof during the winter and children would then be expected to, to climb up onto the roof and bring it down when it was needed. You're kidding. Hmm. <laughs> the kids would climb up on the roof to get the milk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's move on a bit to the to the kind of generality because this question of unregistered or illegal schools is not by any means uh, confined to the Haredi community, the ultra orthodox community, is it? No, that's right. Ofsted, in its latest um, report, it suggested that roughly. A quarter of all unregistered schools in Britain are are religious. Now that proportion is is believed to be uh, at a very minimum and and is likely much greater. But of those quarter which it flagged as being religious unregistered schools, roughly half are Islamic, a quarter Jewish, and another quarter are Christian. So in the case of Islamic schools, these will typically be madrasas which, like the, the yeshivas of the ultra-Orthodox community, are often fundamentalist, extreme, and almost entirely scripturally based. In the case of, of Christian schools, these, these are typically younger denominations. So, for example, the Pentecostal church um, or Christian science. Not the mainstream Christian denominations that run so many schools, like the Catholics uh, and the Church of England, or even Methodist schools. These are really much smaller types of Christian denominations. Exactly, yeah. Okay, now let's get to a matter of definition, Tom. What exactly is an unregistered or illegal school? Well, in its simplest terms, an unregistered school is, is one that has not been registered with the authorities. 
essentially giving them the freedom to operate in, in any way they see fit. The way that they are allowed to do this is they will typically claim that they are only operating the school for a, for a limited number of hours, meaning that they don't meet the threshold which the government sets for a school. Sorry, does that mean that the government has a definition of a school? And if you meet that definition of a school, you have to get registered or you're illegal. But these schools say, we're not schools because we don't teach enough children enough hours. And that means it doesn't have to follow any of the regulations which apply to registered schools. Exactly. So if you're if you're unregistered, Ofsted does not inspect you. Given that it, you have to go to school, you have to present your children to school, and given that these schools are saying they're not educating children for that number of hours, how do parents get around that problem? The parents of these children will claim that those... Uh, children are being home educated uh, and currently there is no register for home educated children. So essentially they say being home educated and then during the time they're supposedly home educated they then attend this unregistered school. Precisely. At what level of hours do you absolutely have to be registered and if you aren't registered and you teach beyond that number of hours then you are doing something illegal? The number of hours that you have to teach in order to, to be counted as a registered school or, or meet the criteria for becoming a registered school is 18 a week. So obviously, if you're, if you're teaching a full-time curriculum, then you'd be going far beyond that, as all of these unregistered schools are. Uh, Samuel's day would start at 8 or 9 in the morning and, and would finish at 5 or 6 in the evening. So clearly, they're not teaching 18 hours a, a week. The staff at Samuel School wanted to remain hidden from the eyes of the authorities, but that meant being located too close to a registered school could cause difficulties. Every now and then when the offset inspectors would come round to inspect the, the registered school next door, all of the pupils in his school, the unregistered one, would have to vacate. I remember several occasions of us kind of be evacuated and have school dispersed around the community because the inspectors are coming and we're illegal. We were really well aware of that. The narrative we were taught is the inspectors were like the Greeks coming to make sure that we're not learning Torah. So what we're doing is we're going away and hiding. If an inspector were to go to that school and keep a tally of the hours it was open and what it was doing then in that case, that inspector might have the powers to close it down. When officer does inspect, they are sometimes able to get on the premises. Currently, they do not have the power to seize any materials from what these schools are teaching, which largely forms the basis of, of most prosecutions that are made against these schools, which, which I should add is only a very, very small handful Currently, Ofsted don't have the powers to shut these schools down. So even if they were to, as you say, stay there for, for the, the number of hours, they still wouldn't be able to shut them down anyway. Coming up, why haven't these unregistered schools been closed down? But first... Hello, I'm Emma Tucker, editor of The Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Earlier this month, a report by the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse said that an estimated 250,000 children in England and Wales received supplementary schooling or out-of-school provision from a faith organisation. It provided evidence of widespread abuse in unregistered schools, which it concluded was being enabled by legislative loopholes that mean these schools do not have to be regulated. I spoke to a lady called Yehudis Fletcher who is like Samuel someone that had left the ultra orthodox Haredi community and it was her opinion having been sexually abused herself uh, at the age of 15 by a Jewish teacher that schools such as these are creating a haven for child abuse that's what came up in the inquiry the absolute link between sexual abuse and other abuse of children and unregistered settings because if you can't make sure that no one's hurting children you may as well nail a sign to the door that says it's okay to abuse children here because no one's going to find out so it creates a haven for child abusers why don't you hear more voices from within those communities speaking out about this the independent inquiry into into child sexual abuse made clear that there is a a, a worrying pattern of senior figures within these communities not speaking out and actively preventing others from speaking out in order to to save face and protect the reputations of of the community and, and those who who've been accused to give a, a recent example the times found a document written by a senior rabbi within the Haredi community of Stanford Hill in which he wrote that informing statutory authorities of a suspected Jewish child sex offender was generally as he puts it a severe sin the reporting of the child abuse is the sin according to him yes exactly why why would he even think that it's protecting the community and it's protecting those who have been accused who who sometimes are senior figures within the community is it also a feeling that you just don't want your community's affairs in any way regulated by the outside world well quite these are communities that are highly insular 
and they almost sort of stand proudly in opposition to modernity and the rest of the country. So the idea that the police or the government would be interfering in what they see as their their personal affairs is anathema to them. And threatening. And threatening. Can you give us any idea of how many of these schools there are and if they are concentrated geographically? I think we should start off, given that we've started with Samuel stories, with the Haredi uh, schools. It's very difficult to put an exact figure on it, but what we do know is that since 2016, which is the year in which Ofsted first set up a task force to try and deal with the problem, they've investigated 817 settings uh, on suspicion of being an unregistered school. They're, they're mostly, as you might expect, in London, and that applies to, to both Haredi schools and madrasas and Christian schools. But, I mean, there have been reports of, of suspected unregistered schools flagged up all around the country. Now, one of the things that happened during COVID lockdown was that schools were closed. As far as we know, did the same thing happen with unregistered schools? I think it's reasonable to assume that many of those schools continued to to operate as normal, A, because of of the lack of oversight, but B, because many of these communities, uh, which are highly insular, continue to operate as normal anyway throughout the pandemic. There were reports of of mass weddings up in Stamford Hill last year. So these unregistered schools probably stay open during the pandemic, which, as we know, is a threat to public health. They are potential or have been accused of being havens of sexual abuse. They are substandard in terms of their facilities and they're substandard in terms of what they teach. Um, So the big question which the listener wants to know is why there isn't a big governmental attempt to deal with this problem. Well, the, the government... Why are they still allowed? It's not for, for lack of rhetoric on the topic. Gavin Williamson said that illegal schools will, to quote him, feel the full force of the law. There was a consultation on the issue last year, but but to be frank, the, the whole story has been characterised by some very obvious foot-dragging on behalf of, of the Department for Education. People like Humanists UK and more recently the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse have uh, said for for years that what needs to be done is that the loophole which enables these schools to exist has to be closed. So i.e. forcing these schools to register and also at the same time giving Ofsted greater powers to go into these schools, find out what they're doing and close them down. Does that mean, for example, that in order to close down the loophole, you would have to say, we also want to regulate Sunday schools? Well, this this is, is part of the problem. When it was initially mooted that the law wouldn't or should be changed, there was a fairly concerted lobbying effort on behalf of, of both the Church of England and the Catholic Church, who were worried that any new changes to the law would affect Sunday schools, which are unregistered for the reason that they uh, operate below the criteria of of 18 hours a week. That certainly is one of the reasons why there hasn't been much movement on the issue. If you talk to someone who's been part of these communities, they would say that it's also uh, a lack of political will on behalf of the government. 
both Sam Maloney who just said that that it's, it's certainly likely that the government fears that they'll be labelled racist if they try and interfere um, in the affairs of of, of the, the Haredi community or, or Islamic or, or fundamentalist Christian as well. So there are several facets to, to why there has been such a level of foot dragging over the years. So that's a governmental reluctance, according to Samuel and Yehuda. Is that something shared across the political spectrum, do you think? There are certainly members of parliament who have spoken out about this and have, have called for, for greater action to be taken, one of whom is Robert Halfen, who's the Education Select Committee chair, um, who we quoted in our article. Uh, and he's certainly been very forthright on the issue and said that that those changes which people in government know needs to be changed, the, the closing of the loopholes and, and handing off said more powers, he said that that needs to happen right away. There have been, however, hasn't there, some successful prosecutions of people uh, who've done things in unregistered schools? There have, but the number is is very few. Um, a recent example was a school in, in South London called the Ambassadors School. A woman called Nadia Ali, who was the, the head of the school, was successfully prosecuted Ofsted having found materials at that school which encouraged parents to hit their children and said that her wife had no right to deny her husband. She's been told that she now faces a jail sentence because after having been prosecuted the first time for it, it was found to actually have been continuing to run the school. But cases like that, are, they're very few and far between. I think Nadia Ali is, is one of, of five people um, who's been prosecuted over the years for this. And in her case, the school was incredibly blatant, wasn't it, about its operation? Yes, she even gave an interview to the BBC, I think it was. Nadia, you've been prosecuted, but you've decided to stay open. Why? Because when it comes to the children, the work that we have put into place is quite unique because I've been teaching for 15 years. I've seen how children maybe need a different approach. We've seen a lot of results within our children, they're happy learners. Ofsted inspectors said there was no plan in place to actively promote fundamental British values. The head teacher, Nadia Ali, had willfully neglected to meet some basic, crucial, safeguarding responsibilities. And they found six out of 11 teachers had not been DBS or criminal record checked. Teachers don't have the skills to help pupils progress. They concluded there was no capacity for improvement at the school. Nadia rejects Ofsted's findings. The school obviously had a name, Ambassadors High School, and I think it, it even charged. Yes, I mean, these schools do charge. They're, they're not free, and school fees can be can run into the thousands of pounds a year, so parents are paying quite large sums of money for quite poor quality schooling. The conditions are, are, are frequently squalid and, and Ofsted has produced several reports from its past investigations which found rat poison and rat traps in the classrooms, uh, broken windows, filthy kitchens. Now what about the school Samuel attended? I mean in what way is that school not like something out of Charles Dickens? Is it? In what way is it not do the boys hall? Well that school is, is still operating today and it belongs to 
another era. It belongs to a, another place. You, it's it's hard to imagine that somewhere like that is still in existence in Britain today. As you say, it, it's it's sort of almost Dickensian in the the punishments given out and the, the squalid conditions that that pupils are taught in. As you say, Samuel suffered some of the worst abuse in his early teens, and you told us he's now in his 20s. How does he feel about it all now? He's a little bit uh, conflicted because at the same time as wanting to speak out about this and speak to people like me, uh, this is also the community that he came from, and he, he still identifies as being Jewish. But I think in, in some ways he feels like his education was robbed from him. He spent 18 years having very little education outside of scriptural study, that will will certainly affect him for years to come in, in terms of catching up on those lost years. Tom, does Samuel feel that younger people in the Horeda community are going to put up with this kind of thing forever? His feeling is that younger generations won't necessarily stand for it in the way that, that previous generations had. He, he said to me something that, that was, I thought to be very interesting, which was that a loss of the violence that goes on in these schools is a repercussion from, from the Holocaust in that the teachers that taught him were taught by survivors of the Holocaust who had been very damaged and, and part of that damage was, was handed on. And I think that as time goes on, it's likely that, that will diminish the other thing is that is the internet is having a big effect on these communities where particularly the, the, the Haredi community is very keen for people within it not to use the internet, but it's certainly a portal onto the outside world through which people are able to see that there's another world out there and use that as a way to leave the community. Um, Tom, are you going to follow up on this story? Yes, I mean, I think it's territory that needs to be looked at carefully these communities are so insular that the difficulty is gaining access to those inside them to people such as Samuel and and I think it does need to be reported on in great depth it does seem remarkable doesn't it I mean and I wonder what you feel about it personally to undertake this story and discover that there's an educational sector which is completely unregulated where teachers seemingly can do what they want under whatever conditions they want and nobody very much has ever done anything about it yes i was particularly struck by the fact that this is sort of operating in plain sight and and people who live right next door to these communities don't actually realize what's going on in them you've got a place like stanford hill which is adjacent to dalston which is a sort of hipster haven and yet there are kids who are who are being treated appallingly badly and yet no one seems to know or as the lack of action on the the department for education's behalf shows seems to care you've been listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of the times and the sunday times with me david aronovich and my guest, Times reporter Tom Ball. You can find all of Tom's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. And he's promised to keep us updated on this story. The producers were Marilyn Rust and Ed Drummond. The executive producer today was Asia Fuchs. And sound design was by David Crackles. And thanks too to BBC reporter Zoe Conway for the use of her interview with Nadia Ali. 
Maybe you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard. Send us an email to times at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. <laughs>